I, I don't think Jonathan Groff ever like swallows anything. It's definitely one of those like, and put <laughs> like spit it out. Uh, yeah. Hello, welcome to Cinema Very Gay, the podcast where we talk about the full spectrum of LGBTQIA plus films, the good, the bad, the offensive, the eating while acting. Today, we're talking about looking at the movie. No more tangles, no more tears, no more reindeer games with narcissistic queers, or any other such time of human beings. Welcome back, everyone, to Cinema Very Gay. I'm Jake. Yo, Coop. Yeah. <laughs> and this week we are not talking about Rock Hudson. We're talking about something else. That's right. But before we do that, go find us on all of our socials at Cinema Very Gay. Okay. Before we get into our discussion, Kevin, I have a summary here for you. Great. Sort of. A one man show. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Insightful, layered, and filled with compelling characters, Looking is an outstanding step forward for gay representation in television and for television as a whole. With 48% of Asian population in SF and with no Asian actors at all, what the fuck are you guys thinking? Fuck white supremacists! Fuck you! This show wonderfully depicted the lives of gay men in modern times and the struggles that we deal with. It didn't give us stereotypes, but showed us a more human side of the daily life of a gay man. It was beautifully written, and the acting was incredible. I couldn't be more disappointed with the first season. The writers did a huge disservice to the community and to the cast. So full of stereotypes, continuing to glorify drug use does not represent the majority. Very sad and a waste of an opportunity. This show did not deserve all the hate it got. It was very good. Trash! There is much to love about everyone discovering Murray Bartlett over the past few years, but my favorite thing about it is that more and more people seem to be going back and checking out Looking, a show that was criminally underrated when it aired. A top 10 show, even for me. Truly horrible show, couldn't relate to any, any of the characters. Glad it's over, glad it's never coming back. We need more shows with relatable stories and real role models. This ain't it. There you Trash. go. Trash. So we're it talking about Looking. <laughs> That was just a bunch of uh, reviews I found from audience mm-hmm. comments in like Rotten Tomatoes and mm-hmm. on YouTube and on Twitter and stuff like that. So it was a uh, it was a divisive show when it, it was came polarizing. out. I don't think people remember it that well, Mm-mm. except to the extent that there's like a Murray Bartlett essence right now, right? Because he was in that episode of The Last of Us. He was in the White Lotus. He was in the White Lotus. Yeah, that's what he got his Emmy for. And so people are, some people are like, oh, you should go back and watch Looking because he's in it. Right. So this was an HBO show. It ran for just two seasons in what, 2013? First episode premiered in January 2014. Oh, 2014. Wow. And the movie came out in 2016. So there were only 18 episodes of the show and then it was canceled. And there was like enough fan support from what I understand that they wanted closure and people wanted instead of, if not another season, a movie. So instead of doing a third season, they gave us looking the movie us. Mm -hmm. They gave viewers 
looking the movie. Did you watch this when it came out? I did. I also I, did. This is the third time I've watched the show all the way through. Oh, nice. I mean, it's like, it's real. the episodes are like 25 minutes long. It's easy to get It's through. only 18 minutes, uh, 18 episodes. So it's, e- it's easy. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's been a while since I've watched it now, maybe five years. Definitely had some different takeaways mm-hmm. than I did when it was like first starting. Yeah. Or when I, it was airing and I watched it. I watched it when it was airing. Mm-hmm. And I remember being more across the board mm-hmm. into it, mm-hmm. liking the whole series quite a bit. Rewatching it, and this might just be my pandemic adult brain where I can't handle any sustained <laughs> narratives in TV, but I, I might have just watched the first three episodes of this and then <laughs> not continued watching, despite it does get better. Yeah. I think season one. I feel like a lot of the conversation about why people hated the show was about stuff like representation and stuff like that, which I think is a conversation you can have about it. And mm-hmm. I, I, the the point people make about it being weird that there are no like Asian characters in mm-hmm. it, despite it being in San Francisco, yeah. is weird, especially since they were given a second season and a movie and these criticisms were coming in and they clearly were looking to diversify looking, the cast looking to diversify yeah and which they did in some interesting ways but despite that it it appears that asian people do not exist except for this one straight guy that's right patrick's co-worker yeah, yeah. but there's there's no there doesn't seem to be any like asian people in queer spaces in san francisco in this movie which is kind of strange and yeah and, and there are you can tell like some attempts at giving a sense of place like making it feel like san francisco but a lot of it just feels like it could be any city, mm-hmm. anywhere. Like that. Well, at one point, they go to Folsom, or they go to uh, like Sequoia National Park. Other than that, it's it's anywhere. Yeah. I I think the generous interpretation, the positives are, you know, around this time. So this is almost ten years ago now. That representation period of like gay characters being given like i don't know any actual writing beyond just side characters yeah and and like the whole cast essentially being just like gay issues outside of what like queer as folk which i think is a i think that's a bad show that is a bad show i i couldn't make it past the first season of that show i it's either, so either iteration maybe it got better but i just i was, did not enjoy it i think this is a big step forward from queer as folk in my opinion yeah i i agree and it's like really competently made but i think the argument for queer as folk is the same as this one you think of like what did gay people actually have to see any sort of representation on screen being given any sort of honest treatment and looking while it does have like myriad flaws that we'll get into, I think is very generous in a lot of its portrayals of the characters. I think it tries pretty earnestly to get at some like actual issues that gay men face. Um, falls flat in in a lot of them but But i think kind of what you're saying because the universe of shows and movies about gay men was so small at least from a mainstream standpoint mm -hmm. at this point there was a lot of feelings from people thinking that it needed to represent them yeah and it didn't represent a lot of people and like the the characters 
I, there's a certain amount of diversity that mi- the, the leads are mixed between white and Latino characters. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, I guess I, th- the, I think the, the three main, I think yeah. Augustine would be like a white Latino and yeah. Richie is Cuban mm-hmm. and they're all fairly masculine presenting. Mm-hmm. And it, it, the second season has more gestures towards them being more integrated into like the larger gay community. Right. But, uh, the first season, not so much. Mm, it's pretty insular. Yeah. No, I think that is a good point. And I would also just say this reminds me of the discussion that we had about Bros, the movie, where a lot of its reception was about like lack of true representation of of a queer experience and how much of it is being how much of the burden is being placed on the shoulders of a single story to like bear the weight of representing an entire community when it's intention was just to represent those two guys. And I think, you know, again, being generous to it, I think making this show as like the new queers folk, like it needs to be representative of the gay experience as like a monolith. There is no way it's going to stand up to that. Mm -mm. And then the ungenerous interpretation is, again like very valid like you are in san francisco one of the like most famous gay and queer cities in the u.s where there's so much queer history and then this this could have been anybody in in any city that there's just there are so little attempt there are patrick's in every city oh my god patrick yeah i do think i so as a rundown of the characters but before just putting this out there i do think that a lot of the hate from about the show might have been a sort of in-group cringe at patrick he's a very cringy character but sometimes it's like a little too real and i think people whether consciously or not kind of rejected him as a character because he does represent a certain amount of Mm -hmm. snobbish internalized racism ish 30 year old internalized homophobia 30 year old white male thing Mm -hmm. and i think that was probably hard for a lot of people to watch especially like white people like it seems like white people were if anything possibly more up in arms about this show because, mm-hmm. and i think it might have been because they saw themselves being reflected in a somewhat negative light but um every character on the show is very flawed except kind of richie uh, but richie he has like he, sweet Richie. Sweet Richie. <laughs> but he is he has like a pride thing and he also he's he's a little intense. He's and, a little intense. But uh the main character is Richie, um, a Cuban American uh barber mm-hmm. who gets in a relationship with the main character Patrick, who mm-hmm. is his main thing is he is a romantic coward with internalized homophobia, and internalized mommy racism, <laughs> mommy issues. So he's a he's a mess. Augustine, who is like just a that fucking mess yeah an artist who basically quote 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 unquote artist who basically is like sort of depressive and wants to make everyone feel as miserable as he does and well diagnosed yeah and murray bartlett uh dom. plays dom who has a giant chip on his shoulder and mm-hmm. every time someone tries to help him he lashes out at them mm-hmm. uh you have doris his roommate and best friend who is codependent but and she is the best. Okay, she is the best, she but is she's the also best. codependent, and yeah. she uses humor to deflect in mm-hmm. any situation that requires any amount of emotional depth. Yeah. And you have Kevin, Patrick's boss, who is extremely emotionally manipulative. 
So that is our cast. It's and a it, fun cast. And if, you, <laughs> if you're looking for a show that is going to um, be affirming about the gay experience in a sort of broad sense... This is not the show for you no, because it's it certainly does take not the a, first season. It takes a a hard look at some pervasive issues of racism and internalized homophobia in the gay community, and also it leans very heavily on cringe in the first season. Which I think I think yeah. the first season is good. I think the second season is very good and a huge improvement over it's the a first big improvement. season. I, especially the cringe element. The first season it was almost like the cringe felt kind of like the point. Mm-hmm. Whereas the second season, I thought it was more like the characters were the point and the cringe was better integrated into the story, but it had more highs and lows of being like celebratory and serious and sometimes cringe. Mm-hmm. And so I think the second season is very good to great at times. I think so too. Thinking of the writing of the first season the note that it ends on is also just very down and it's sort of like the characters have not really learned anything and it's just sort of like a hard note to end on. It's yeah. like they just sort of crash yes, by like hurting people that are really close to them. And that's the end of the first season. And yeah. the second one, there's like not a chance for redemption, but there's like space for them to reflect and like grow and you get to see them do that and like actually grapple with their issues that I think was just much stronger. Yeah. Um, but I do think there was a, I do think there was an overall vision to the series because the way season there, everyone is presented as being a very flawed character. And I, I, the arc of the first scene is season is basically people hitting a low so they can rebuild from that. And I think that they were smart about the way that they went about establishing how that happened. Like, Augustine clearly needed to like hit rock bottom in order to start taking a hard look at himself, which Mm -hmm. he does by he's broke and hires a rent boy for an art project, but doesn't tell his boyfriend that he's paying the rent boy. Right. And then films them having sex. Yeah. And Patrick is, I, I think Jonathan Groff in the first season, one of the things that struck me the most this time around was, um, so he has he's in a relationship with Richie, but also kind of hot for his boss. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of the classic Dr. Faye, Megan Calvert decision. It's like, do I want to be with the person who sees me for who I am and accepts that? Mm-hmm. Or do I want to be with someone who I pretend to be the person I want to be mm-hmm. around? And so he, like, like Don Draper, mm-hmm. he decides to go with Megan. <laughs> Kevin. Yes, <laughs> and it's a terrible idea, and the show recognizes right. that. And I think, I, I also rewatching this for the first time, I think right from the beginning, it's very clear to me, and I think to the creators of the show that Kevin's a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Which wasn't as, I, I, it wasn't as clear to me watching it like on a week to week basis over the course of like two years. It, um, yeah. But Kevin, he's like he's such a emotionally manipulative person I, I think he actually does like patrick but i think he's also just a toxic person like he is in a relationship when he and patrick meet mm-hmm. and he has this deflecting thing that he does where patrick he'll kind of be stringing patrick along or patrick will start questioning whether this is a bad idea and it's at only at that moment that he does some grand emotional gesture to 
deflect from the fact that he doesn't want to talk about anything deeper about their relationship. Mm. Like in season and you see you see this finally the, the the apex of this is in season 2 when Patrick breaks up with him. Yeah. Cuz he's been string he's been stringing Patrick along cuz they started having an affair and he will periodically Patrick will say like we should have a deeper conversation around our relationship and Kevin will be like I love you and it'll just like paper over that or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so it's only when Patrick breaks up with him that he breaks up with his boyfriend because that's just the next step he needs to in order to like keep Patrick around. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's always Kevin seeding ground because he needs to keep stringing Patrick along. I, I don't disagree with you. Yeah. I think this time around, I was more forgiving towards Kevin's character than I have been in the past, mm-hmm. which I was surprised by because I got the sense that there was genuine affection and love for Patrick Mm -hmm. and that he really was coming from a challenging relationship. Not that he didn't love John, his previous partner. And then I guess the movie, his partner that he ends up with, he goes back to John. I think it's just that it was so challenging. And then like stresses of being long distance and demanding job that he did develop feelings. I think Mm -hmm. I think we do also see genuine remorse and that it was a difficult decision for him to make to break with John and to go with, to like take a leap and go with Patrick. I think correctly. And what you said, like that was a bad decision on both of their parts because Kevin Kevin, clearly is not ready to go right into that. And he, he has very bad relationship skills and is really bad about talking about what he wants. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that comes to a head at the end of the series. And yeah. Kevin and Patrick break up. This whole thing could have been avoided if you had just sat down and mm-hmm. talked about this and been up front. But the impetus for the breakup, or like not impetus, I guess the, the last straw, Patrick's last straw, is Kevin being on Grinder and going down to a party when Patrick is going to move in with him where he had seen the guys on Grinder, yeah. And because they and, are both completely, Kevin and Patrick are both completely emotionally broken. Yeah. They not, did not, not talk on the same page. They did not talk about whether they were going to be monogamous before they moved in together. Right. And that, that was, I think in hindsight now, I was like, this is a baffling scenario to be in. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, the first time I watched her, maybe the first couple times, I was like, wow, Kevin is awful. This is disgusting. How could he? And then I'm just like, man, both of you are handling this horribly. Mm-hmm. Like, there's, it, it made a lot more sense that, like, this is the dissolution of this relationship. And it, yeah, because it, it was based it on, the, it was based on the issue at the heart of their relationship was that they are both pretending to be different people because they right. like each other. <laughs> right. Um, but I think you're totally right that, Patrick, and this is where, when we get into the movie, I think where one of the things the movie does smartly as sort of like treating it as a last chapter or a last long episode of this show is this was the turning point where Patrick really was going to become reflective. And I think in place of a season three where he was going to like really do the the soul searching, they kind of had to patch that together. And he did some healing sort of off, off camera. Yeah. But I think that's what made the the second season feel better at the end was like you get a sense that Patrick has confronted the things that people see in him 
as flaws, the things that he sees in flaws himself and like where they come from, I think like starts to, especially with his mommy issues, if we can talk about his mom, who is, she's like so good. Iconic. So good. She basically, she is clearly kind of a, was a bad mother. Yeah. And every time Patrick confronts her with it, she's like, you're an adult. Get over it. (laughs) She's she's the perfectly calibrated, just like waspy, emotionally Uh distant mother. But also as the series goes on, she starts doing drugs and leaves Patrick's father. But she like tells Patrick some really good things. It was like, it's like, well, you've never, he says, I can't bring a a boy around you because you were just going to judge him. Mm -hmm. Well, Honey, at this point, if you've never brought a boyfriend, that's on you. Yeah, because Patrick is clearly worried about bringing Richie around to his family Mm -hmm. because he, in his mind, his family's going to judge him, but Mm -hmm. he's actually judging himself for dating a person whose aspirations in life is to be a barber and who is a person of color, Mm -hmm. which is... Sweet Richie. Yeah, Richie. My heart aches. (laughs) Yeah. He's just so sweet. This is so hot. He's just so hot, and he gets gives that nice little blowjob. Or that scene with him naked with the <sighs> bass in bed. But anyway, do you want to? Before we get into the movie, we, we've sort of talked about the series broadly. I want to get into like a little, some little details along the way because there's some good details in the show, and there's yes. also some stuff that drives me crazy. Yes, and then we'll, we'll set up for the where the movie takes it. I want to talk about some of the filmmaking in this series. Mm, yeah. So, so it, we, we haven't mentioned that it's created and directed by Andrew Haig yet. Yes. Who did... The reason this show was even on my radar when it came out was because he did this movie called Weekend. Yeah. Which fantastic. is a great movie. Beautiful. Um, people still talk about it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's about uh, these two guys who meet up and kind of fall into a relationship over the weekend and just this sort of like a observation of how they yeah. get to know each other we we will probably talk about that yeah. movie at some point but andrew hey I've, I've seen i think all i think he's only done like three movies he doesn't do movies that often but he, he did 45 years 45 years and also lean on pete and he yep. is a i think he is a fantastic visual storyteller and some of the best moments in the series are episodes that he helmed that he does an amazing job telling a story mm-hmm. through camera work and cinematography mm-hmm. and the cinematographers he worked with are great too yeah so i think the highlights of the series are definitely like the first episode of season two the last episode of season two which he directed both of those the the shot at the beginning of the, the first episode of season two the like long shot of all of the characters at that party in the woods mm-hmm. is i think it's kind of perfect it's really good like there is so much storytelling in that shot and kind of establishing where the characters are mentally and setting up themes of the season. It's just, it's so good. And also the way that he uses in the end of season two, like the architecture of that apartment to convey like the spiraling downward of the relationship <laughs> yes. is so clever. Yeah. The first season, and I don't know if you noticed, I did not watch this the, notice this the first time I watched it, but once I noticed it, it started driving me crazy. The first season is so overblocked, and there's so much like action as while the, the uh, dialogue is happening that uh-huh. it was like 
parodic. Basically, everyone's doing, they're like juggling while they're <laughs> delivering their dialogue all the time. There's so much, everyone's mm-hmm. like either walking or eating or like doing something with their hands in every single shot. And it's it's too much. It's almost like a Dor- Doris is a big culprit of that. Yeah, but also everyone's always so. just like eating's a big one mm-hmm. and they they have to like act through it they're eating and I, I don't think jonathan groff ever like swallows anything it's definitely one of those like and cut <laughs> like spit it out uh yeah or that the episode where they're setting up dom's pop-up and it's just like walking 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 in and out of doors putting things down picking them back up yeah people, talking about flowers people sit people sit still sometimes and so it, it drove me a little nuts for a season also the whole thing with dom's chicken thing he he wants to like open a peri peri chicken place but mm-hmm. also but like the entire time i was watching it, i was like why not just say portuguese food who like right. who pitches an entire restaurant based on a single dish instead of like a concept raising and it was cakes. very strange <laughs> um there's that restaurant in manhattan that just does steak and fries i guess there's it's the, called steak and fries there's the meatball shop the meatball shop just says, well, but they probably got other stuff too. They do so have they can other do stuff. Like chicken or beef. Yeah. He's like, nope, we're going to serve peri-peri chicken. Yeah. So that was weird. Predictably has a hard time getting funded in San Francisco for that pop-up. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. oh did you just hit your elbow? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. You okay? I'm okay. Oh. Oh, there's also a lot of um, fun guest stars and side characters. The main guy from Where the World Mine, mm-hmm. right? That actor. And Len was uh, Scott Bakula. Scott. Every time he every, every time he came on screen, it was just Bob's Burgers. Scott Bakula. <laughs> Real celebrities. Scott Bakula's keeping it tight. He looked great. Yeah, Dom great. gets in a relationship with older guy Lynn. I, I thought that was one of yeah. the highlights of season one was Dom and Lynn. I guess. I just kept feeling bad for for Len getting used. Like, I just felt like he got satcheled with Dom and mm-hmm. just sad. Oh, well, cause in season two, part of his whole character thing is like Dom's having a hard time getting attached to him. A, because they entered into a business relationship before they entered into a like romantic one, mm-hmm. which was a mistake that Lynn recognized. Yeah. But then also Dom gets very jealous that Lynn's still like, is in love with his uh, partner who died of AIDS. Yeah. And there are pictures of him everywhere. And then Lynn just straight up is like, well, yeah, I told you what this is. Mm-hmm. Like, I am I only ever had one love. Yeah. That, that's that's what you're going to get from me. I have nothing left to give. Who's sad? And that's sad, but I was like, oh, man. Yeah. It's just this I, poor man's getting like... It just felt like he was getting trampled on by Dom's insecurities and like... Well, yeah, that's part of Dom's character. But I also think, um, before we get back to just talking about guest stars and stuff like that, I think if the show had gone longer, it it ended up because of the way it ended, it had to make some of the relationships in the show seem like they were more like long games. Mm -hmm. And I think if the show went on longer, the relationships that the main characters had would have, instead of like changing in the relationships that were already established they probably would have had like different partners to grow with Mm -hmm. and i think lynn is probably what would have happened with a lot of characters on this Mm. show where like lynn is clearly there to he's an interesting character but he's he's there to like push dom yeah and once he has served that purpose they break up 
And I think that probably would have happened more as the show went on. Yeah. If they didn't need to wrap it up after season two. Like, I think Kevin was clearly going to be out of the picture after like the, the end, so. the end goal with Kevin, I was clearly to make, uh, Patrick, Patrick grow up a little. Yeah. Like he clearly wasn't going to, but the, because the show ended with season two, it had to make it seem like the whole arc of the show was about like Kevin and Richie with right. Patrick, which I don't think would have been the case. If I agree. It went on longer. One, why in the movie that scene with, like a confrontation with Kevin just sort of feels unnecessary sort of tacked on compared to Patrick, like being back with everyone else. We'll, we'll get into that though. Yeah. So who, we got the Gaby guy. Gaby guy. Yep. Um, Andrew Keenan Bolger. Andrew Keenan Bolger. <laughs> yeah. He's very cute. He's he, get, he gets fucked by Dom mm-hmm. pretty early. And um, there's also this guy, uh, Matthew Rich, that was sort of a friend of, Lynn's, who was also kind of having sex with Lynn sometimes and was on Dom's rugby team. Mm-hmm. He's very cute. He was in like that show um, Bonding hmm. Netflix and Tales of the City. She was up in some TV stuff. Okay. And and Laura Weedman is Doris. Is just... Lauren Weedman? What did I say? Laura. What is it? Lauren Weedman. And Lauren Weedman. Yeah. Laura's Weedman's is Doris. She's great in this show. She's great. And she should have gotten an Emmy for this. I think she's brilliant. And she, her and Malik. Her and Malik is the, the Sonny and Cher yeah. in the Halloween episode. That's so good. Yeah, I, she yeah. really steals the scenes she's in. She in, yep. in season two, she shows so much more range in her mm-hmm. character. It, 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 that's all part of season two also. Like season two is so much more generous and humane and mm-hmm. wants to like deepen the characters. And she benefits from that a yes. ton. That... that I'd say the other highlight of the show is the her dad's funeral. That's a great episode, episode yeah. I think top to bottom. And there's a drag queen in it named Kitty Leukemia. <laughs> <laughs> Which is great. I love that. That's pretty good. The storytelling in some of these episodes is so great. Like I, I noticed around this time that Doris only cries when mm-hmm. Malik shows up at the end. And it's so sad because Dom kind of wishes that she could have opened up with him. Right. But at the same time, we see this huge history that they have and they've talked about like growing up together and being friends and being each other's first love. And it's, it makes it hurt even more when like what happens in a couple episodes where Dom doesn't get the money that she promised him because she doesn't have that money now. That really hurts because they do have so much history. It's like it's not that she wants to replace him, but... Mm-hmm she recognizes that they need to grow up past their dependency on each other. And her and Malik are really, are really sweet for that. Mm -hmm. I think when you were saying like another season would have given characters more room to breathe. I think her, I think Doris and Dom repairing their relationship would have been really nice because they, Mm -hmm. they sort of talk about tying it up at the very end of season two, but then there's, it's just not one of the loose ends that they try to tie up in the movie. But yeah. I wish that that had Dom had had more space to reflect on that and to grow, and that Doris could have had more chance to like grow with Malik and like yeah. see their relationship. I think season three, the setup was that it was going to be about them trying to navigate not being codependent anymore. Mm-hmm. Like they recognized the problem, and there were probably going to be some growing pains. And I think that's what season three probably would have been for them. Yep. And season three also would have been 
probably where they would have had Patrick and the Richie Brady triangle sort of resolve itself over multiple yes. so episodes. Another person who the Brady guy is on um, that show. Abbott Elementary. Yeah. yeah. Brady's an interesting character. He, I think mm-hmm. at the end of the day, just because of the exigencies of having to wrap up the show, he gets kind of like the shit end of the stick. Yeah, he gets, the, he's the villain. But he and Patrick have a sort of, it's kind of like a narcissism of small differences thing, right? Because <laughs> yeah. they're both snobbish white guys with like weird hangups about dating in like Richie who both have like nerdy professions. Yeah. So they overlap professionally a little bit. And so I think they hate each other cause they're so similar. <laughs> and they, I mean, Patrick is just clearly never over Richie. Yeah. So there's always that. Yeah. But, but I think, I, I think that's their dynamic and, Brady and Brady never gets like a moment of deepening. Mm-hmm. Oh, they, they also both Patrick and Brady also both drink way too much. Yes. Well, I will say one of the things, how do you feel about that speech Patrick gives in the middle of the season at the Halloween party? Uh, it's, it's painful. I, I like get it. It's better handled than some of the cringe moments of season one, because it starts off as just him being drunk and like saying yeah. nonsense but then it just starts to like, it's like really smart the way it like starts to show people's reactions to it. And he starts yeah. saying like really personal details. Although about it's his weird friends. no one stops him earlier. And was, yeah, Dom and Augustine are both sitting there and he's like revealing yeah. their struggles. And he's like, yeah. why is no one shutting this down? Especially given what we know about Richie and Richie's character. Mm-hmm. The fact that Richie just kind of like laughs it off at the end of the episode is was weird to me because mm-hmm. I... Richie does not ever strike you as someone who is going to accept that someone is a complete mess like that. Right. And I don't know. I thought, I thought it went a little overboard. It went overboard. I think it, it fit because earlier in that episode, Richie shows up with Brady or it's after they all show up. They're sitting in the backyard talking and he's talking about being on prep. Mm -hmm. Um, and nothing, a, a, a new topic at the time. Yeah. And nothing Patrick is saying is landing. Like he very clearly has some internalized homophobia about that. And there's a, there's a bit of slut shaming that happens in the show, I think. But Brady's like very openly in front of all of these people in front of Patrick's friends, like pushing back against him about like, well, yeah, I'm on prep. So what? Yeah. And Brady's right in this scene. Yeah. And I, he's like, this is totally right. But Patrick doesn't let up and that's like really painful where he just like keeps digging in it's like so stubborn and eventually who is it that has to come in is it eddie says something funny then and just like mm-hmm. breaks up the tension like, yeah yeah it's painful plus kevin shows up at the party with john i think that's what sent patrick over the edge mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. my favorite moment in the series Mm-mm. but but I, yeah i also just like why at the end of the night when they're all dancing in the living room, it's like, if, why, why is Richie? Why is Richie still there? Why are there? you still here? Like Patrick just insulted your boyfriend in front of an entire group of people. Right. And Richie just hangs around and like smiles at Patrick. And I was like, I, I don't buy that. Mm-hmm. That, that rank falls. I would say for the most part, I don't think the show hits too many false notes. Mm-hmm. That was one of them for me. I also, the, the other one that drove me kind of nuts. And I think this might just be because 
the people who are making this show don't know like gamers <laughs> but <laughs> the so patrick and kevin make this sort of like streets of rage mortal Kombat type game that is a bunch of gay stereotypes fighting each other yeah gay gamers would love that shit. i was i was sitting there reading this i was thinking about this and like oh shit i would play this game and, and part they of the get problem such a negative reaction from everyone they're like oh you're using stereotypes like blah 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 and to me that reads like someone who's never met a gay gamer right plus they're they're <laughs> getting the shit from that guy at the like gabe liebman in a wheelchair <laughs> yes about there's another thing why not just that hire was some, funny like but also why not just hire someone who is actually in a wheelchair <laughs> uncertain but the app that he was like presenting there was a glory hole app and like he's an early judging. and he's judging him yeah and it's like okay sir read the room also what kind of convention is that i don't know it, it I, I the the gamer stuff is was weird it's, to me it's I, pretty bad oh that's also like when patrick meets kevin and he's talking about like always playing as the female character mm-hmm. and then he's like oh yeah what do you what do you play as what yeah he's like are you asking if i'm gay i also don't know if i bought kevin as being like into video games it it, it was like no he's into ears oh yeah ear play i'm sorry i think russell toby's sexy yeah and i think that blinded a lot so when i was going through looking mining for comments about the show Mm -hmm. people were in the tank for kevin and patrick yes despite the show i think doing a lot of work to signal i mean granted it it shows that they clearly are attracted to one another mm-hmm. and i believe that that they do like each other but i think the show is also constantly acknowledging that this is a very broken toxic relationship right despite them being sympathetic in their own ways in some respects but people were like <laughs> They were like, no, this like one true love. These two are meant to be together when the end of season two is a clear culmination of an arc between the two of them. They are done. Season three, they would not have gotten back together. Mm -mm. That was that was not going to happen. They would have had a similar fight like they did in the movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, Can you just imagine being on a subway and Richie with his little cap turning it around and looking at you like that? That was a bus. I think it was a bus. Does San Francisco have a subway system? Yeah. Oh. Good for them. <laughs> well, can you can you imagine him like turning around his cap and looking at you like that? He's so pretty. Oh, I do. It's a it, fuzzy chest. It is interesting because the show didn't seem to have been predicated on getting big name actors in order mm-hmm. to market it because I would not say any of these actors in the show were household names by any stretch of the imagination. Jonathan Groff is closest because he had Glee, he had theater stuff. Oh, he was on Glee. He he had his Tony nomination by this point. Okay, yeah, but they didn't they didn't land any big Hollywood names for this show. No. So I it's curious to me that they still chose some because I think there was no reason not to just choose all gay actors, but they still didn't do that. Right. Like the Raul Castillo's. Yeah. Augustine. Augustine is, the guy, what is that guy's name? The, and they're both good. Like they're both good actors and they do really well in the show, but it's just interesting to me that they didn't bother to have, like, maybe they did blind casting, but also they didn't need to. Um, um, Frankie Alvarez. Frankie Alvarez. Cause like, like why not have all the main characters? Like Scott right. Bakula is not gay. Right. <laughs> He's playing a gay character. But 
Murray Bartlett is. Yeah. He's just so beautiful. He's just so handsome. He is very handsome. His 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 being, pecs are like him pillows. being named Dom seems like a big joke, but <laughs> but I, I I just I thought that was interesting because I it, from what I can tell watching the show there was no reason not to cast them with gay actors. Yeah, I, it's it's true. Donald Franzese is yeah. Is that his, how you pronounce his last name? I I don't know actually. Yeah, Z's. I'm not sure. Um, but he plays. Eddie. Eddie in the second season. I really like his character. He's a he's HIV great. positive bear who Augustine falls in love with. That was, I think, a really good character to introduce into the mix. Yeah, and but he's also got to... he's also got his own issues mm-hmm. that he's working through. Mm-hmm. But he rightly calls out things like, "Well, what do you think it's like to be a queer pause bear in in this city?" Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, no one's really acknowledging what it's probably like for people that don't look like Murray Bartlett. Yeah. I do also appreciate now that I think about it, the show doesn't go out of its way to like explain a bunch of stuff. Like you could clearly, you could imagine a show where Eddie is introduced and the show has to explain, like take a scene to explain what bears are, (laughs) uh, how there are different body types in the gay community. But the show actually is pretty good about just kind of Mm -hmm. integrating concepts like that naturally into the dialogue without explaining it. But then they'll do it, like, a little bit, because at the very beginning of season two, he, like, calls to them on the canoe. Mm-hmm. He's like, why don't you, your otter and your wolf friend can come, too. Yeah. Something like that. Like, that's cute. But they don't, it, it, there's not a scene like, where he's like, am I the wolf? He, there's not a scene like, well, a bear is a hairy, <laughs> a larger man, and a otter is a skinny man with body hair, and then mm-hmm. a twink is a younger mm-hmm. man with no body. So it, it doesn't do that, which I appreciated. It would have been funny, though. Do you have anything else to say about the show proper, or should we get into the get into the movie? I don't. I think we set up the characters. We know where they're at, and then, you know, like we said, it was canceled by HBO after the second season, so it never got its third season. But then Andrew Haig came back with the movie, so it just picks up where season two left off, sort of. The classic. Dr. Faye, Megan Calvert decision. Initially, I think we had planned to spend more of this episode talking about the movie, but revisiting the series and the movie, the movie doesn't really stand on its own. Mm-mm. It is a continue. It is very much a continuation of the show and an attempt to give some closure to it. So it's kind of hard to talk about the movie without laying the groundwork that we have with all the characters and their dynamics and what they need to do in yeah. order to have a satisfying arc. Yeah. So the movie picks up nine months after the breakup mm-hmm. between Patrick and Kevin, and Patrick has moved to Denver. Yep to be closer to his family, sort of. And he was working on another project there. But he's coming back to San Francisco for the wedding of Augustine and Eddie. Mm -hmm. And the movie, it's it's only an hour and a half, which I appreciate it. Thank you. And it's basically, it's broken up, I think, pretty easily into three parts. The first stretch of it is Augustine's bachelor party, Mm -hmm. where we kind of establish like what's been going on with the characters and catch up with people. The second stretch of the movie is the main three characters, Augustine, Patrick, and Dom trying to decide 
what moving forward is going to look like for them. Mm -hmm. And then the third stretch of the movie is setting the characters on a new path and trying to, it's a, it's, it's an open-ended movie, but it's, it's kind of saying like, this is the culmination of their arcs in the show. And this is what they might be doing going forward. I think if you treat it as just like the final episode of this show, it works a lot more because mm-hmm. um, it's yeah it's not trying to give you a ton of closure there are a couple things that they very strongly hint at that you were wondering about so like in hindsight it doesn't seem like they wanted will richie and patrick be together to be like the guiding question of the show but yeah with only two seasons that was sort of a big lingering question so he did sort of answer that in that brady and richie breakup and uh, Patrick tells Richie that he still loves him. Yeah. Patrick, so if Patrick is introduced as a romantic coward, this movie is about him actually. It doesn't end, it sort of ends with him and Richie getting back together, but it's mostly, it mostly ends with Patrick deciding that he's willing to take risks for people that yeah. he loves and recognizing that Richie is a good person and that mm-hmm. what he had with Kevin is toxic. Yep. Kevin. His, his the culmination of his arc is basically he went to therapy which like good for him he needed like honestly he he needed therapy so yeah that was a good way to end Very his true. arc but he is he's back with John yeah. who he broke up with to get with Patrick in the second season but it seems like he's being actually open about what he wants with John now and I think mm-hmm. that's what Kevin needed to do yeah um, Augustine is his whole thing is basically he had this idea of himself as like a great artist and he needed to just learn to accept what makes him happy instead of trying to live up to this impossible standard of himself. Mm -hmm. And also the, I think the movie does a good job with um, I think in the first season of the show and sort of loosening up in the second season or becoming less of a problem is that Patrick and Augustine are in a toxic friendship where they basically are open about how awful they are, Mm -hmm. but they use it as a, an excuse to just air it and move on. They don't, they think that just saying what they've done is a emotionally mature thing, but not doing it about, but they never do anything about it. Uh And the movie does a good job showing that they don't have a toxic friendship anymore, that they've actually become better friends right throughout, throughout the course of the show. They also aren't just like totally drunk or on drugs the whole time, which happened a lot. In mm-hmm. the first season and then dom he i mean his whole thing is he has a giant chip on his shoulder <laughs> I, I guess he gets with eddie's best friend and that's supposed to suggest that he is going to be open to being in a relationship because I, I guess yeah the way his character worked out and i'm sure this would have been different in the long run on the show is it's like he was never in any relationships with anyone mm-hmm. and then he fell hard for lynn and that didn't work out. And so he starts receding back into his himself and thinking that he is like not worthy of a relationship or love or something th- like that. But th- it's not it, it's a it's a wobbly arc because they didn't have a lot of time to build it out. That's true. I think also what we saw of him in the in the show is that he put a lot of meaning into relationships based on what he could get out of those people. So like. Yeah, his but closeness while with, at the same time resenting them for helping him. Right, <laughs> like his closeness with Lynn was because he 
saw him as a business opportunity. It's like a really dark way of looking at that, but also true. And then like his relationship with Doris took a hit when she was a source of money for him. Mm-hmm. So there was sort of a sense that he was letting like his own personal professional like flux dictate his other relationships. And yeah. so I think the movie did a good job of like his chicken window <laughs> I think is stupid, but <laughs> his chicken window is like doing well. So he feels some stability and some like personal gratification. And, and he's I, he's his own boss. Like he'd been a waiter yeah, for ten years at this point. I, I think it did a a good job of saying like hey, don't try to attach yourself to someone if you don't have personal fulfillment, if you aren't proud of what you yourself are doing with your life. You're not going to be able to do that with another person. And I think, yeah, you're right. Don is like open to being in a relationship, but I wouldn't say he's in the lurch. I think it's just like he found some personal gratification. Yeah, I guess- He doesn't need to be tied down with anyone. To I, I think he needed that professional like calm- I guess you're right about that. Not everyone needed to have a strong romantic arc Mm -mm. in the end. Like his arc is more about learning to be on his own. Yeah. Which we talked about that. Like he is a, he and Doris are codependent messes. Yes. (laughs) Very true. So in the movie, we see that he is, has a healthy relationship with Doris now. Yeah. I also like the interpretation that if Patrick and Richie don't, it's like they, they aren't technically together. They don't say like, we are in a relationship. We are going to take a risk on each other because the last conversation of the movie. So therefore like the whole show is Richie saying that like he wants to leave San Francisco and, yeah. and Patrick saying Patrick's he's probably like, going to oh, move back. Okay. And like, that's, that's sort of it. And there's something sort of nice to me that instead of Patrick coming back and like being really upset that he doesn't have Richie or that Richie's going to move on past him and like find happiness somewhere else. He's just sort of like, appreciates what he had with him for what it was Mm -hmm. and he was right like there is love and there is friendship and respect there and that's always going to be there yeah regardless of how they are moving forward and so i felt like it was almost like a really mature breakup sort of at the end it's like we're we're not gonna we're not gonna work i think i think you're right you could interpret it as a breakup i didn't think about it that way but like we they clearly don't want the same things in the long run and but there, there there was some like comfortability to it and, like they can just hold each other at the end and be like yeah this is nice right now like, yeah and it, it seems like a culmination for patrick and i think one of my favorite parts of the movie thinking of of that point is when he when he comes back and he at the bachelor party sees the like the 22 year old and he takes him home and eats his butt which is really nice mm-hmm. um but then they're like talking over chinese food in the kitchen and it's like some of it was really ridiculous always eating in the show always there's they were standing still and eating though, yeah so it wasn't super distracting but patrick's actually dropping some nuggets of wisdom that i, I think are really nice where he's like talking to this 22 year old saying like oh my life isn't where i thought it would be when i was 18 and mm-hmm. you realize how ridiculous that is mm-hmm. and you can see that patrick's sort of processing like Oh, like a couple of years ago, I was here spiraling out of control, damaging relationships because I was thinking the same thing. And so his wisdom is just like, well, who cares if you aren't where you thought you were going to be at 18? Mm-hmm. Like no one's putting that on you but yourself. It's like, he wouldn't have said that in season one of this show. 
that's a really nice sentiment. Yeah. For for the show to end on. I also really like the scene with Dom and Patrick in bed together where they get high and talk about like why they never hooked up. And but, then th- or they did hook up. Or they why just, why they never like fell into a relationship. Right. And then they kiss. Yeah. And they're like, <laughs> this is wrong. Yeah. But that it felt very <laughs> it at its best the show feels very lived in and the characters yes. feel very well realized and that was really i think a prime example of like the strengths of the show i think so too and i think i think also, the acting in that scene was excellent i think yes. they both did a really great job of conveying the history of the characters i think you can see where andrew haig wanted to bring in a lot of like real experiences from like sure like urban gay men like cis gay men primarily but there are a lot of sentiments in this that were very real so like augustine and eddie are getting married and a lot of what augustine is dealing with is like he was someone that was fighting against gay marriage and like patrick has a big conversation with the efficient at the courthouse about like what does marriage mean that was a good little conversation and like even something with like Doris saying like, Oh, we're not going to get married. Marriage is for the gays now. It's mm-hmm. like, like these, like that's something that queer people dealt with when that decision was made and like still deal with. And Andrew Haig addresses it, but it doesn't feel like he's throwing it in there. Cause he has to, it's, yeah. it's very real. Or like the fact that a lot of gay people meet and form friendships, especially in the city because they hooked up and then just became friends. Like mm-hmm. that is gay networking and he doesn't come down hard on it. He doesn't spend a lot of time like arbitrating it. It's just like, yeah, we we had this thing. It didn't work. We realized that we're like brothers and best friends. So that's that's our relationship. Yeah, and even in, in that light, so Brady has a big breakdown. He, he gets very drunk, and like him and Patrick argue. I and I think I love Patrick in that scene for standing up to yeah. him. It's like good for you. But it's sort of understandable watching that scene. It. In one respect, they just needed to get mm-hmm. it over with for Patrick and Richie to have right. the scene at the end of the movie. And so they needed to bring it to a head, even if it didn't feel like the most natural thing ever. But it's still it's still a good scene. Mm-hmm. And Brady, he comes across in that scene as someone who is very, um, he, I think he sees in Patrick everything he hates about himself. Yeah. And so he sees Patrick as this guy who is just a terrible representation of gay people and is just it, he like, says you are what's wrong with the gay community yeah, yeah. and I, I think the implication of that is being a the presentable face of the gay community and mm-hmm. that he patrick is a walking symbol of how gay culture is being flattened something mm-hmm. like that and so he sees that in patrick mm-hmm. and i think he probably sees that tendency in himself i think he probably is dating richie in part like he and Richie don't There's seem to some, have some virtue signaling. I think yeah. I really do think dating Richie for him is a certain amount of virtue signaling. Mm-hmm. Cause every time Brady gets drunk, he like attacks people for not being himself. Mm-hmm. And he, and that's what Patrick says in the scene. He's like, you're trying to hold me to this impossible standard that you just yeah. made up right. that you're not living up to either. Even if you think you are, despite the fact that in some respects it is using Brady as like a tool to have that conversation again, mm-hmm. because like, the show has to end and we weren't able to deepen his character that much, but it works for what it is trying to say about the community in that respect. Agreed. Brady especially is a good, a good like mirror being held up to the gay community. 
he is sort of like the i think he's right as much as he's wrong also right it's like you you are allowed to find flaws in in like call out issues as you see them but he also but does also, represent the hypocrisy yeah lighten the fuck up yeah and he he yeah he never really does he's never really fun he's just sort of catty the whole show which does make it weird that Richie would be. Into yeah, that's that. another thing. That we ne- they they I, never really work. By that token, Patrick and Richie don't make a ton of sense on paper, other than like. I don't. I think the the show does a lot of it lays a lot of groundwork for why they because because I think at the yes. end of the day they, they both want the same thing and that's kind of what brings them together that's and they true. both are able to communicate with each other well. Yeah. Um, especially episode five of the first season, which is them going on that date for the entire day. That was basically like the show being like, we are going to drive it into the ground. Why these two are good for one another. Yeah. And then kind of like pull the rug out from under you. Cause Patrick's not ready for this. Yep. And also Augustine was terrible. Oh yeah. But also, I mean, again, the, yeah, the, but he, he he's said kind of, that he was slumming it. Like that's pretty terrible. It is terrible. But I think he was also recognizing something that mm-hmm. Patrick needed to recognize in himself was that I think pa- Patrick, I do not question that Patrick and Richie care for each other deeply, but in the moment, in the fir- in that moment, in the first season, he is still, we're still like two episodes away from basically Patrick being a racist asshole because he's worried about introducing Richie to his family. Yeah. So I think Patrick thinks he's slumming it too. He's not actually slumming it, but I think Patrick, his internalized racism does sort of perceive mm-hmm. Richie as like lesser than him on some level. That and his own insecurities and mommy issues of like what, sister issues. his sister is a sister sucks. She's a real bitch. But I, even she She's like, ah, oh, she sucks. Ah, but you know what? But she also I guess that's a theme in this show. It's like awful people saying awful things are often conveying some sort of truth underneath it also. Where his his sister recognizes that Kevin's a bad person. Yeah. And she calls her brother a homewrecker. And she's like... Which is correct. Which is right. It's like she doesn't have to she doesn't be have to, like a 13-year-old yeah, You don't have to be a brat, but... You don't have to be a dick to be right. But mm. on, on this show, people are dicks about being right. <laughs> Words of wisdom. Yeah. She, she calls him out. He needs to be called out. I would have loved to see her get called out. <laughs> I, for, but being like, a, for being a brat. But yeah. But again, we, just didn't, we didn't have, have Patrick's family was clearly going to be a ongoing thing yes. in the show. Yeah. And his issues growing up in a emotionally distant waspy environment. Yeah. Which again, I think a lot of the viewers probably saw that and were like, I can't, like, ooh. I can't take this even on a subconscious level or conscious level. Um, that, especially thinking of like, waspy gays are just like middle to upper middle class or upper class white gays who live in big cities were probably a primary demographic for watching this i think so while it was going on people who had seen weekend like people right yes that's that's very true and yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of hard truths to it yeah and i think probably a lot of people went into the show wanting to be validated and that is not that is Mm -hmm. not that was not the agenda of this show this this show was about characters it was about the complexity of being a certain type of gay person in a certain very specific situation Mm -hmm. and it was not looking to 
And I, I, do, I do think season two is more celebratory of the gay community, which I think is yes. better, but it never loses sight of the fact that these characters are not perfect. <laughs> right. And which makes Agreed. it more interesting. Like it would Agreed. Been- and I think that's what made the movie, you know, we, we say it doesn't, it doesn't fully work as like a standalone movie. Like don't go, there's no reason for you to go watch yeah. this if you haven't watched the show first, but the movie doesn't try to just like wrap up everything really nicely and like, so, yeah. see everyone's good it's like no everyone's flawed yeah and i even I, I i did not thought before about how you can interpret the last scene as either kevin or not kevin patrick and richie breaking up or mm-hmm. patrick and richie getting back together which when you think about it that's like really interesting yeah and that they pulled that off in the way they did in yeah. such an elegant way mm-hmm. um i thought that was i i, I thought the movie really had the right idea and it was very thoughtful about what it wanted to do to like Agreed. end the series in an interesting way. Agreed. And I just love the the note that it ends on too of just like friends sitting in a diner late at night. On the ca- in the Castro. Yeah. Like eating some eating some pancakes and mm-hmm. just talking. And like the just the delight and the joy in friendships like that is mm-hmm. like you can feel that these characters appreciate that more now than they would have yeah at the beginning of the show yeah it is it it really is such a it it feels very earned but when you think about how in the course of 18 episodes in a movie it got from everyone being awful and probably should not be friends right (laughs) because they're it it, it started off as like like augustine is awful yeah it like i feel like did you watch ever watch girls Mm-hmm. oh yeah like girls the point of that show was that these people shouldn't be friends like they are not well and it's not like th- these friendships are not salvageable right this show <laughs> it, it started off basically where girls was going at the end where it's like mm-hmm. these people are not good they're not like, healthy see we told you nothing's but going it well. manages to over the course of a very short period of time basically be like no these people like they just they can grow and still be friends Mm-hmm. and ends on a note that's pretty happy like they, they have work to do but like they're capable of changing yeah I, I think i think it's like a note of hope i don't even know if that's right like it's there, there's like a serenity to it yeah and like you can find like there's a piece to these characters knowing that they are like better equipped mm-hmm. to deal with their shit yeah than they were at the beginning of the show so yeah, it's like rec- recognizing and loving the flaws in each other, but not excusing them anymore. Mm-mm. Which and not just yelling, they, at which each they other were doing at the beginning of the show. They were all excusing each other's flaws. Yep, yep. But I say go. I say watch it. I guess I the the first season I do think is a little rough at points. Mm-hmm. Two, I think, it's, is two is much better. But people, Agreed. I think. I think a lot of people have more patience than I do with TV shows. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't think saying that like maybe you need to wait a couple episodes of a half hour series for it to kind of find its footing is that much of a barrier to it. No. And I do think the second season is genuinely very good. I think and it is too bad that it didn't keep going because I, I think agree. it was heading in a very interesting direction. I think so too. And I think it would have only, I mean, it doesn't seem like it ever would have bothered to try to introduce Asian characters for whatever reason. It didn't seem to be heading in that direction, but it did seem to be making more of an effort to be more inclusive and interesting, interested in its characters and like expanding the sort of parochial 
insular nature of the first season. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I say check it out. I, I agree. Watch both seasons. Watch the movie. I think there's there was enough for us to talk about and like the complexities of the characters, especially that came out in the second season that it's, it's worth it for sure. Like Don Draper, mm-hmm. he decides to go with Megan. Okay. So that was looking and now we're going to jump back into something we haven't done for several weeks, but uh, getting back into a miniseries. So we decided to take a look on the Criterion channel at a collection of short films that they have. Um, so if you just go on Criterion, I think it's just called LGBTQ plus shorts. Really nice spread of queer short films from like the 70s up through current times. So we're going to take a look at, at some of those. And this week we started with a short film from 2018 called uh, Red Tree, or in Italian, L'Arbre. That was French. You, that was the French L'arbre. accent. L'Arbre. <clears throat> that was a French accent. Le- <clears throat> I can do it. I can't do it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's not going to happen. So this is anyway. a short film. It is directed by Paul Rowley, who is a photographer slash video installation artist yeah. slash experimental film. filmmaker. Yeah, this is a it's like historical fiction where it's a narrator talking about an actual historical event. But the narrator is not a person who actually exists. But the stuff he narrates right. is about what actually happened feels like a documentary like it is very well done of like it felt it felt like if guy madden did a documentary (laughs) where there's a bit of like a fever dream happening Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. i can see that but the the story that he's telling what is um about a fictional man who is returning to an island that he was exiled to in 1938 by mussolini which is a real thing that happened yeah mussolini did domino uh exile homosexuals to this island then it seems like everyone was taken off of the island in 1940 at the start of the war but, but then put under house arrest for two right, years put under house arrest this was like the first this was the first internment camp where all the prisoners were gay so this was a real occurrence it's a very interesting mix of sort of like dreamlike sequences uh, of narration yeah. some some recreation of like arriving on the island yeah footage of the actual island which was interesting we watched the director paul rowley actually talking about making the movie and he said they like still had fingerprints from the documents of people that were interred there but yeah he so the fictional narrator is like recounting what it was like to be interred on this island talks a lot about mimi who was another prisoner on the island uh who he formed a close friendship with but then is also recounting what life was like in italy in southern italy when mussolini took over and when this was happening and the red tree itself was a um, a real tree though i mean that's a stupid thing to say it's a real it's a real place like it, it was a real tree where the narrator says it was like a meeting ground but then also became like a cruising ground la bruge no nope. still french 
Yeah, and so in the narration, in the story, uh, the narrator talks about how it was a internment camp and it was basically an open prison on the island and they were always under guard um, and how the guards would sometimes rape them or um, adjacent to the island was another island where political prisoners were kept apparently under a certain amount of luxury that was not available to them on San Domino. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the men from the political prisoners from that island would row over and rape them. And at the same time, the narrator has a certain nostalgia for the experience because it was a situation with a bunch of gay men living openly Mm -hmm. in very close quarters and bonding under very difficult situations. And when they are taken off the island because the war is kind of ramping up and I think it's just too hard to administer the island from afar and it was just easier to have them under house arrest, the narrator talks about how people started crying and they weren't sure if it was because they were free or it was because they were going to miss what they had on the island, Mm -hmm. especially given that having been put on the island basically outed them. Mm -hmm. So they didn't have much to return to. And I just, he, he brings up the point, like what they would return to is, he's like, is it the family? No, they're ashamed. Is Mm -hmm. it the towns where they were like, no, they were the people that turned them in, Mm -hmm. in the first place. Is it to jobs? Those aren't there anymore. Yeah. This was a, an interesting little look into a, forgotten piece of history that paul Mm -hmm. rowley in the interview he says that even in italy it's not necessarily widely known which is i guess not surprising and i guess san domino today is like a tourist spot and i'm guessing they sort i'm guessing the island tries to downplay the fact that there used to be an internment camp there (laughs) right it does it looked like though from shots of what i assume was an actual ferry driving away from the island that a lot of the infrastructure is still there because you could see some buildings mm-hmm. that look like they were probably part of the the prisons yeah but i'm guessing it's not near main street or anything like that <laughs> no, no 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 but yeah it's it part of what paul is talking about or what riley is talking about is sort of like forgetting the forgotten and it's that these people were exiled and they were the the exiled among the exiled like the lowest of the low and how like sad it is for history to have forgotten them so completely that now it's just an island where people go to vacation and there's no recognition that something has happened here at all. Yeah. And he does at the end of it, he sort of ties in this smaller piece of history into the larger arc of gay history in the 20th century and brings mm-hmm. up how this was of a kind with things that were happening and that eventually led to stuff like, stonewall and more activism and stuff like that and Mm -hmm. saying that this is worth remembering which i think i I, like it it's an interesting story Mm -hmm. and i think that it's definitely worth telling and trying to preserve it as part of gay history because it is i think there's a lot there like i don't know if i necessarily you could definitely make this into like a narrative film Mm -hmm. easily and probably get a lot of awards Honestly, it was reminding me of like the dr- uh, a Firebird or mm-hmm. a, um, the Clive Owen movie. Oh, that movie's terrible. Yeah, but the the one where the the Auschwitz one. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, I, I forget what it's called. Bent based on the novel by Marvin Sherman. But like, yeah, of a kind. But you're right; it does get the guy Madden treatment, where there's a lot of like 
just strange shots of like a rotating red tree while colored filters people staring into a camera Mm -hmm. um, neon pink lights yeah overlays of text and stuff like that which i you know i i like that i mean we both love guy madden i think yeah Yeah, Uh, i think the the idea for this movie too as like a documentary would have been really great my guess is that there aren't any survivors who could make that journey it's like his pitch would be to take someone back to that island and film them narrating yeah their experience but and probably that he talks about how um in that interview where he says that they were going to burn all of those documents but that someone made photocopies of them but i'm guessing the historical record is still not great on what was going on there mm-hmm. and it's not I, I don't know if people you know after being on the island wrote any memoirs or anything like that mm-hmm. but this is a thing that happens with marginalized groups in history is that there's not as much of a record so you have to be kind of creative about how you retell historical things Mm -hmm. because you don't have as many primary sources and i think this movie is representative of that because it doesn't it probably didn't have um there was research done obviously right but it probably doesn't have enough primary sources to present it in the way where it would be just completely a normal documentary and so the director gets creative with keeping in the spirit of wanting to tell the story, but doing it in a way that works with what record yeah. is on hand. Yeah. That, and he's spending much more time like evoking emotions or feelings as opposed to telling actual facts about what it was like there. Mm-hmm. Cause it's limited. I, I like this. Yeah. It's good. That was, that was good. I think a lot of short, I almost said short documentaries. This isn't technically a documentary, sort of framed as one i think i i just want to do this mini series because i like shorts and i think that they are they're so hard to come by that whenever they're available i always kind of love being able to access them i think the last time we talked about shorts really was the new fest episode yeah but we found some great shorts there Mm -hmm. i Mm -hmm. wish we had had more time to really like go deep and watch more of them but we watched a lot of stuff for that so i think that probably this will probably be like miniseries shorts number one like in the future yeah, we'll come back to it watch more watch more shorts is just something that we're interested in um this is just going to be about ones that are available to watch now that we know people can access because access is always a problem with these mm-hmm. so that's a, that's going to be the point of this miniseries going forward um that was the yep. red tree go watch it that was la Bero rosso that was not French. I don't know if it was Italian, but that was not French. Thank you. Hooray. Thank you so much. No more tangles, no more tears, no more reindeer games with narcissistic queers, or any other such time of human series and that was our episode on looking the movie the movie. But also the series and the, yeah yeah it's got everything ass eating the guy from gaby <laughs> i don't know what his name is did we forget it already do we even say it no i was scott bacula scott bacula it's got perry perry chicken it's got murray bartlett's mustache infidelity it's got lauren weedman 
Yeah, uh, eating and acting. It's got eating eat, and acting. Eat, acting. It's got walking and acting. It's got making a computer game and acting. Mm-hmm. It's got sitting on a torpedo and acting. Yeah, just. It's got rugby. Mm-hmm. It's got um, hot tub three ways, car accidents, funerals. What one? Excuse me. <laughs> oh, actually, it's got a cough. The movie has a cough that isn't supposed to imply that someone's dying. Like just someone coughing. Someone caught the, the young guy Patrick hooks up with. He just coughs in the scene. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Right. Like that, normal people. You, like normal people. You never see that in a movie. Like normally when someone coughs, you're like, oh, oh over, dead. Over. <laughs> um, great. That's a great point. So that's, that's it. Yeah, that's it. That's all it's got. Go watch Looking, or don't if you don't want to. Or, yeah, it's fine. But you should. It's not. It goes fast. Yeah. Just watch it. Before HBO, like, takes it off streaming or something. Mm-hmm. They've just been canning. So I'm going ham. Mm-hmm. <laughs> going ham. Especially on their on their queer stuff, though. So, so go catch it while you can. Yeah. Uh, so check us out on social media. We are on Twitter and Instagram at Cinema Very Gay, and we have a letterbox. And we will see you all in two weeks. Okie doke. Bye.